0: welcome into a new edition of the fight hq podcast of course i am jason foy as always i'm joined by the fighter pete rogers juniors are here to break down ufc vegas 75 of course which goes down here on saturday afternoon so that's something to kind of pay attention to main car the uh lock time will be 1 p.m eastern time of course we got a heavyweight matchup and uh we're doing some fights pete
1: yeah some pretty low level fights jason it's uh it's not the best fight card at all by any means, and we got a pretty wonky uh, DraftKings salaries out there, so it's like a crazy wonky landscape of a slate, um, but I mean, here we are.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's something, and I'll give people some insight. Last week after we got done with the show, me and Pete were talking, were talking about a slate, we were just like... Ooh, it's why he says with fight night cards, there's categories of fight night cards. And all you got to do is look at the fight card. And you know whether it's an apex card or whether it's a fight in front of fans. And this yeah. is one and of course this fight card's gone through several changes. Um, you know, Turkios and Raul Rosas were supposed to be put placed on this card. Uh Ricky Turkios put on his uh X account that he he accepted a fight with one hundred and forty five pounds. Raul Rosas Jr. did not accept the fight at one hundred and forty five pounds. Of course that fight was canceled uh, last week, just moments before it, it was about to start. And uh, yeah, I mean last week, uh not a good week for us here, Pete. I mean that, you know we're always going to be a full disclosure here as uh yeah year was my most confident play of the week and looked really great in the first round and then and then of course i had bram moreno in the main event a a close fight i mean you know could have gone either way
1: yeah i mean outside of those two fights i was pretty um i I had a solid week but man um good shout out to people that were back in brian ortega i put more weight into the absence of Brian Ortega than the skill set, which is always the tough balance. You can never really tell how somebody's going to look coming off a long layoff and coming off of, you know, kind of like poor performances. And, you know, it's just a stylistic clash. And Yair clearly has not been developing his ground game or his wrestling as we had hoped. And, you know, it's been a glaring hole in his game that has looked better at times. It looked god awful, uh, you know, last weekend. And, uh, Shout out to Brian Ortega. He got a huge win. Um had to overcome some adversity from rolling his ankle from the from the uh the opening announcement of Bruce Bruffer introdu- introducing him and then the rough round one that he had, but uh he he came through and then Brandon Moreno in my opinion looked career worst. Looked horrible. He looked like uh, a deer in headlights, no volume. Um you know, the volume and the output of Brandon Royval despite landing significantly or not. Just kept Moreno busy defensively, and it just led to Moreno not landing as as much as he needed to to kind of sway the judges. Yes, his, his shots might have been a little bit more significant, but anytime somebody triples you up on volume, it's just very tough to say you won the fight. But By the
0: way, we both been in this fight game a long time. I don't yeah. know I've ever seen a crowd fight last as long as the one we saw last week. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, look at where they were, bro. I mean, it's it's fighting's in their blood. And uh, man, um, yeah, I mean, that was a that was a pretty good one.
0: Yeah, man, I, I've seen a lot of crazy fights MMA <laughs> made that just that one uh, takes a kick There, of course, uh, we had our, our Fight HQ contest. Uh, Sam taking that one down. Congratulations to him. Of course, uh, if you're in our Discord channel, which is totally free to join, I put the Fight HQ standings up in there. I'll get that DraftKings contest up here uh, later on today, so we'll have that contest up there. And of course, uh, I'm I'm no longer in first place. I, I dropped down to second. So uh, did not have a great week. Of course, when your your core of your lineup is Brandon Moreno and Rodriguez, you're not. Gonna going to have a great week here but uh, Pete. as we move forward into game theory breaking this one down and you know i mean you, you talked about what the salaries are for this one and you know as i was sitting here in the office i've been in the office since about six o'clock this morning and, and i'm looking at these salaries and my first thought was like man like i don't have a lot of confidence in the main event but it's one of those fights where i'm like from a salary perspective i I think it's going to be hard to avoid this week just because of the volatility of a heavyweight matchup here.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the, the nature of the beast, right? I mean, we have a heavyweight bout that's most likely not going five rounds. The salaries on both fighters, um, you know, it's very easy to get to 8,300 for Shamil Gaziev, grappler um, and Jerzyno Rosenstark at 7,900, you know, KO puncher. So it's the stylistic clash of striker versus grappler, but Gazayev has shown that he um, likes to strike and sometimes strikes too too much, in my opinion, because he's open and susceptible to getting countered on the feet. Uh, and that's something you do not want when you're backing a favorite going up against Jerzinho Rosenstrike, who can shut your lights off in one moment. So, uh, you know, I, I do favor the grappler here in Shamil Gazaev, but regardless, I do think you need to smash exposure to this fight unless something weird an odd happens in the main event, it, it should be a part of the optimal lineup because I foresee a, f- a finish coming one way or another within two rounds. So, uh, you know, I, I do think that's a great starting point. But obviously, if you think that it could be a mediocre score, then you it's okay to get away from it, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, as you look at all these 9,000 options, because we have we have four favorites on this card that are at least a 5-1 to one betting favorite, one of them being Eric Anders. I mean, yeah. I, I love me some Eric Anders, but, man, Eric Anders 5-1 and, and not necessarily always seeing the volume. That That's a fight. There was a great questioner to score saying maybe that's a fight you could fade this week, and I would not mind you fading there. But, like, as I look, as much as I love Umar Nurmagomedov, I think spending $100 less and getting to Klein may be the way to start a lineup this week.
1: I mean, there's mismatches all throughout this card, right? I mean, like, it's it's crazy because you have wide favorites. Um, as far as, like, who I think's the most talented fighter on this card is Umar Nurmagomedov. So, I have no problem spending all the way at the top for him. Um, but these top-end options are restrictive, if, especially if you don't think any underdogs come through this week. Or, like, only one of them comes through. Like, say you think Jairzinho Rosenstrike comes through, but there's no mid-range. You, you can't get to anything in the mid-range. So, like, you're going to most likely have to hope that one of these long shots comes comes through or that a fighter in a in a bout, even if they lose, that they score decently well to help you pay up for the top. Um, it's just restrictive because of the slate with no mid-range. I've never seen a slate like this, personally. Um... And it just goes to show you that there's wide favorites and crazy mismatches throughout, and it's going to make me get some some weird combinations. It really is because I don't have much faith in any underdogs this week. I'm not even back in Jersey. You know, Rosenstrike. I think it's close, but I'm going to fit. I'm going to favor the grappler in that situation. Um, so what it's going to do for me is I'm going to be putting some fighters in there as like a punt. In a loss like I, i'm already mm-hmm. expecting them to lose but who can lose and put up a decent score who can lose and it go 15 minutes so that they have the potential to to have some points behind them i don't want a losing fighter down there at the 6k range who is gonna get finished in round one or two and give me single digits that is pointless mm-hmm. so uh it, it's gonna be completely wonky um and maybe this changes when when fighters weigh in Maybe we get a better read on who's having a terrible weight cut or whatnot. But uh, yeah, I'm excited, kind of excited to break down and talk about this from a, a strategic standpoint, but from a quality of a card this is definitely not high quality.
0: Yeah, I mean, I really want to see where does ownership projections come in on this one because that's going to be really key of of where could where might there be an edge and and that's where, you know, I mean, we're talking about 11 fights. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, we don't lose any uh, of sitting back and seeing what these projections may be there. So, uh, of course, as always, we do appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the Fight HQ podcast. Of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you hit that thumbs up, button we would much appreciate it. Of course, you're not subscribed to the channel. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and of course if you're listening to us on the podcasting channels uh, be sure to leave a rating and review we really do appreciate that and of course if you want to show your support for the show check out all those links down in the show notes of how you can support the Fight HQ podcast but Pete let's get right into the main event we've got Jarzino Rosenstruck taking on Shamil Gaziev. Gaziev a minus 160 betting favor plus 135 for Rosenstruck uh, as of this morning uh, the FanDuel salaries are not out here so we'll just talk about DraftKings here uh, Gaziev 8,300 and 7,900. Center for Rosenstruck, and, and Pete, you brought up a really interesting set right before the show about Jarzino Rosenstruck as an underdog.
1: Yeah, so it's something I was kind of looking at uh, when we were talking pre-show on Fantasy Cruncher. Um, you know, Jarzino Rosenstruck has only come through once as an underdog, and that was in his debut against G, uh, Junior Albini. Granted, it was like a pick em fight. He was plus 106. Outside of that, he's been favored in a ton of contests, and he's won. But the few times he's also been placed as an underdog, Francis Zingano, he lost that bout. Cyril Gane, he lost that bout. Uh, Curtis Blades, Alexander Volkov, and recently Jayota and Almeida. All situations where he was an underdog and he he lost in all situations like that. And now we have him here as like a plus 130 underdog against Shamil Gazaev, who's clearly um, an interesting heavyweight fighter and has power in his hands. Dagestani wrestler... Um, but uh, I do think that like there are some massive, massive holes in Gaziev's uh, skill set. He he leaves himself open to counters on the feet. I feel like he's a sucker for an overhand right, which is something I do not like going up against Jamil, uh, against Jersey or Rosenstrike. Um, he tends to try to fight with his ego a little bit, which can result in him getting fatigued and gassing out. Um, and if, if you're going up against a fighter and Jairzino Rosentrike, who does have five round experience as the fight goes on you would like to think that maybe Jairzino you know, starts to take over late my issue with Jairzino is just his volume right like he he just doesn't throw enough sometimes and we've seen him you know come from behind with one you know one big punch against Alistair Overeem but you know there, a lot of times he's just kind of waiting 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 and if he waits too long early on I do think he's going to get put in some bad spots both, both, in the striking department and in the grappling department, against Shamil Gazayev who is a massive guy, um, despite taking somebody, well, knocking his opponent down on the contender series and then getting his back immediately taken, I do think that he's going to have the better grappling and wrestling in this situation. It's pretty obvious. Um, you know, we, we've seen Rosenstrike be unable to t- defend takedowns against Gelatin Almeida, who has a you know an, an incredible submission game about him. Um, Curtis Blades, uh, we've even seen against Alistair Overeem, you know, surreal gone. So like I do think that the easiest way is just clearly put Jerzino Rosenstrike on his back, work towards a TKO or submission finish. But Jerzino leaves his his chin up in the air also. So I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see Gazaev land a kill shot on, on the feet. Um he does have crazy power about him. It's just it's not his best path to victory. So I would love nothing more than to see him shoot early and shoot often. Put Jerzino on the mat and work towards a round one or round two finish. Because the longer this gets stretched out, the more the underdog becomes live in Jerzino Rosenstrike. And honestly, from the opening bell, if if Rosenstrike just lands a shot, he's he's alive to get a quick win bonus too. You know what I mean? Like he has that power about him. I will slightly favor the the uh, the wrestler in this situation is Shamil Gazaev. Um, but if you're going to argue with me about Jr. landing a shot, it's heavyweight MMA, low level heavyweight MMA. And in uh, low level heavyweight MMA, I'm not going to really, you know, fault you for wanting to get to the underdog. So it's a guys they have pick for me, but it's a smash as far as the fight's considered. You need exposure to this fight.
0: This is one of those fights where I look at it, Pete, and I just say it's heavyweight MMA. You know, we're, we're talking about. You know, French top 10. I mean, obviously, Jarzino, you know, you know he has been up there in, you know, top five to seven ish range in, in this division. But, like, I just say, High volatility. You want to get to both sides this one. If you look over Price Picks, the fight time prop is five minutes. Uh, for Gaziev, significant strikes twenty eight and a half. Fancy score eighty six and a half. If I, uh, of course, being here in Florida, today is actually the last day as Florida residents that we can play Price Picks. But if I was going to play any of those props. I think I might look at more the fancy score of going more than 86 and just because of the high probability that if Gaziev does get the victory, it's going to be in round one or round two. I, I think if you think that, that Rosenstruck is going go to get the victory, I might want to look at going more than five fight time minutes.
1: Yeah, that makes sense in my opinion. Um, and if I was you, I would be putting as many prize picks plays in as possible today because that's... That's, that's kind of sad of an error because Jason kills it on price pick. so uh, um, that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I would I, I have not looked into it, but I would imagine this probably has something to do with uh, sports betting now being legalized here in the state of state of Florida with the hard rock app. So I'm guessing that's probably what it has to do there. But I mean, look, it's it's going to be one of those things of there's not a lot of underdogs. I do like this week Rosenstruck would be one of the underdogs to get into just because of what that ceiling could be. But the floor could also be five points.
1: Yeah, 100%. You have to recognize what you're rostering, right? Um, In no way, shape, or form would I consider really stacking this fight because I do not see Mm -hmm. it touching rounds four or five. Uh, You have to kind of take that into consideration for every single one of these fights because I do feel a stack or a losing fighter is going to be a part of the optimal Mm -hmm. because unless something crazy happens and we have a massive, massive upset, I just don't see paths to victory for a lot of these underdogs.
0: Let's move over to our co-paying event. we got Vitor Petrino taking on Tyson Pedro. Uh, Petrino is a minus 310 betting fair, plus 254 Pedro. Pedro is 7200 on DK. Petrino is 9000. I will tell you, I do like it. One of the prize picks props from this one I really do like.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's an interesting fight, right? Like, I feel like everybody is kind of undervaluing Tyson Pedro just because of his skill set for the first, you know, round and a half. I understand he doesn't have the best cardio. I understand he can get outworked at times. Um, but he has excellent power for the division. He does have some decent offensive wrestling. Defensively, he can be taken down and controlled. And as the fight gets stretched out, he goes from being uh, a beast to a a normal light heavyweight. And I do think that you know he can get exposed, and he has in the past when the going gets tough. Seems like he can break a little bit. Um, and he's not the best pace pusher, whereas his opponent, Vitor Petrino, uh, kind of pushes the gas pedal consistently throughout 15 minutes. There was a time when I thought he had bad gas and and, and bad cardio about him as well, but some fighters are able to kind of kick it into another gear and push past the fatigue, and that's, that's what I'm seeing with Vitor Petrino. You know, his hands are great, crazy good power. His jujitsu is improving. I mean, he's He's starting to look for submissions on the mat now. Uh, his control's been there. His wrestling's been there. And he's well-rounded. And he's game for 15 minutes. So in a division so volatile, uh, similar to heavyweight, where a lot of people gas out over the course of 15 minutes, he's kind of been able to take over as of you know the fight gets going. Um, if he can survive the first round, I definitely think that he's a pretty safe 9,000 option. The issue here is just like the value and something I brought up to you pre-show. It's like, okay, Vitor Petrino in his debut against Anton Tarkal was a minus 108 favorite, so a pick him. Um, and then against Marcin Pracnio, at least uh, recently was a minus 250 favorite. Now we look and we see him here as almost a minus 320 favorite over Tyson Pedro, which I just find to be crazy because if Tyson Pedro is fighting um, and he, he's fighting Marcin Pracnio, Pedro is massively favored there. And obviously that's like MMA math, but I do think that maybe the market's somewhat undervaluing Tyson Pedro or overvaluing a Vitor Petrino to survive round one. Um, all I'm going to say is that Pedro is somebody that the market has absolutely loved ever since he's broken onto the sport. His only fight in the UFC where he's been an underdog was his debut against Khalil Roundtree, and he did win that fight uh, by submission, and he was plus 120 underdog. Um, you know, every single other time he's been favored or slightly favored, so you know, I, I don't know what to make of this. I do think that there is a skill set and a type of fighter that can beat Tyson Pedro, and maybe that's why the line is what it is. And it's Vitor Petrino to a T, uh, survive, um, avoid the big shot. Hopefully, Petrino doesn't get rocked as he did against Hudolfo Bellotto on the contender series. I do think Petrino's open to a straight right hand down the middle, and when Pedro hits people, they fold. But if he's smart in round one, I do think that Vitor Petrino should coast uh, to a uh, a late late round stoppage or a decision. I'm kind of feeling a decision here. So Vitor Petrino wins rounds two and three after you know overcoming some adversity. Um, I'm okay with getting to the underdog and Tyson Pedro though, like 7,200 Pedro, no problem much rather get to him than like a Alex Perez or a Matt Schnell or a Jamie Pickett. Me personally, I mean, I just think that if if an underdog has a chance to win early, it's clearly Tyson Pedro.
0: And I mentioned about on prize picks, there's a prop I like. I like going more than one and a half takedowns on Vitor Petrino. It's one of yeah, my favorite I think it's, that's fair. It, it's one of my favorite plays on prize picks this week. There's actually, I've got three prize picks plays I really like. There's a fourth one that is kind of more of a, a lean to because it is a low number. But to me, I do like that one and a half, over one and a half takedowns for Petrino. Uh, and Pete, you, you were talking about you think this could go later here. Maybe you can go to decision. The fight time prop is eight and a half minutes on this one. So listen to what Pete has to say there. You probably want to maybe look at going more than uh, eight and a half. But I do agree with something you said there. Like, if we, when you're looking for the these underdogs who've got the potential to go out there and get 90, a hundred points. We've seen Tyson Pedro do that. I mean, but I I just, my question is whether he can keep that actually keep the fight on the feet.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Tyson Pedro put Vitor Petrino on his back uh, because he's way better offensively in the wrestling department than defensively. And the one thing that is, is tough to kind of gauge fight-to-fight is the shape that athletes are in. Every fight camp, we make adjustments. Every fight camp, we develop. Or sometimes, you know, fighter skill sets deteriorate. Um, But in addition to that, we're also trying to improve upon each performance. You sit there and you critique yourself. You, You let your coaches lay out a game plan and say, hey, listen, two fights ago, our last fight, our cardio was awful. We need to focus on that. We need to change up our strength and conditioning routine. And it does seem like on the socials that Tyson Pedro is putting in a lot more work as far as strength and conditioning. He's always been strong, but as far as conditioning-wise, um, it does look like he's hitting the Airdyne bike more. I don't know. It could just be a pacing issue, or it could just be a heart issue as well. where When the going gets tough, you're a great hammer, you're an awful nail, and that could just be what it is. So I'll, I'll be taking Vitor Petrino to win by decision, but really don't hate the Pedro underdog shot.
0: Next up, we got a matchup that really I think has a lot of meaning in terms of the division. That is Alex Perez taking on Muhammad Makayev. Makayev is a minus three eighty five betting care, plus two ninety for Alex Perez. Alex Perez seventy one hundred DK. Makayev ninety one hundred DK. Of course, Makayev only twenty three years old. Really, the the story with Alex Perez over the past couple years is you know all the fights that just have not come together. And Pete, I was doing my my other podcast earlier today, and and. I was really talking about this fight, and I said, you know what? When you look at the flyweight division, Pantoja wants to fight 10 weeks from now. Do they really want to go back to Roy Val Pantoja when we just saw that fight yep. back in December? That's yep. why I'm thinking here, if Muhammad Makaev goes out there with an impressive performance, he may skip all the way to the top of the line because Amir Abazi's got the neck injury. He's not going to be ready for May the UFC may not want to go back to the well with the Roy Val, Pantoja, Moreno back back and forth. A, so yeah. uh, that's why I'm looking at this one and saying Makayev could be fighting for a title shot here.
1: I think so too. I think he could absolutely skip the line. Uh Muhammad Makayev is one of the, you know, most exciting prospects in the sport despite not necessarily dominating every opponent. The fact that he's able to kind of kick it into gear in rounds 2 or 3 when he's down it does show that that the kid has absolute skills, you know, and I, I think this is a showcase fight for him. I really do. Uh, they're not doing Alex Perez any favors. Alex Perez has backed out of a lot of fights or um, had to, uh, you know, missed weight. It's just been chaotic for a guy that we all had high hopes for coming off of, you know, his, his entrance into the UFC. We're like, wow, this guy could actually be somebody who could win the title or contend for it. He's, he's fought for the title or he's he's looked okay at times, but I don't know, man. This is a guy that I always, maybe I overvalued and maybe the market did as well. Um, we just kind of fell in love with the hype of Alex Perez. There's nothing that I can say to get behind him here against Muhammad makayev truthfully. The, he is susceptible to getting submitted. He leaves his neck out there quite too often for a guy who snatches up guillotines and rare naked chokes. Mohamed Makayev possesses a smothering takedown presence. um, And all of his fights uh, outside of his very, very quick win bonus over Cody Durden, he's landed a takedown. 12 against Charles Johnson, 6 against Gordon, 4 against Filio, and 3 against Tim Elliott. So he's going to put Alex Perez in some compromising situations. Perez's best hope is just catching Muhammad Makaev on the chin and knocking him out. I view that as a very low percentage uh, possibility. In in addition to that, like most of the time, flyweight bouts are likely to go 15 minutes, so you can get behind a lot of flyweight underdogs in a loss to score decently well. I just don't see it here. I, I think that Muhammad Makayev either um, you know takes him to Takedown City or just finishes him quick because Alex Perez. I just don't have any trust in him in 2024. So the the only reason you're going to get behind Alex Perez is that Muhammad Makayev kind of plays with his food a little bit, and makes things a little bit more difficult than they need to be. But 9,100, I think Makayev rolls. Um, I I think that he's going to uh, be fighting for the title. And it's funny because he's cross-trained and trained at American Top Team in the past. I would love to see those rounds between him and Alexandre Pantoja. Um, And also, in addition to that, I think Brandon Moreno should uh, be—I think Brandon Moreno— uh, is quite lucky that he didn't have to face Amir al because if that Brandon Moreno showed up last week, I think Amir al runs right over him.
0: You know, it's kind of a, a tale of two different tales here with with these fighters. Muhammad Makaev's had five fights in the UFC. Four of them have made it to the third round. Alex Perez six of his last seven fights have ended in the first round so it's kind of a tale of two different things and I think this is going to be what does Alex Perez look like on the scale we've seen the issues he's had with the scale the amount of canceled matchups he's had over the past two to three years so uh, to me it's over there and I'll the in terms of price picks over here it's not a, a favorite pick for me but it would be going less than 23 and a half significant strikes on Muhammad makayev He's never hit this number in the UFC in terms of significant strikes, so that to me would be a little bit of a lesson. Fight time is 12 and a half. Takedowns, three and a half. Fancy score, 91 and a half. If, if I was going to say, I think obviously significant strike would be the preferred prop on this one, and then I'd probably look at that fancy score of going more than 91 and a half, especially if he can get this one out of there in the first second round, um, but uh, we we, we haven't seen that since his UFC debut where he got a first-round right. finish. But to me, uh, Makayev is the guy. And, and we'll see what happens here in terms of his flyweight division. Uh, it's kind of it's like in the co-main event last week. Uh, we'll see what happens at, at featherweight. And I saw this great thread on Reddit earlier today of – are we now entering the end of an era where UFC champions are very active? Because Taporia came out uh, within the past 24 hours saying he doesn't want to defend his title to October or November. So it seems like the days of active UFC champions are really coming to an end.
1: Yeah, it's kind of, you know, I'm, we'll have to see. I, I do admire when, when, you know, champions want to stay active. But, I mean, a lot goes into a training camp and a lot goes into – you know, defending a title, right? You know what I mean? Tons of pressure, tons of media, tons of everything. And uh, these guys would love nothing more than to be reigning champion for X amount of years or a year plus. And instead of risking it and losing within three months, you're a champion for three months and then you lost it because you were willing to risk it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just really, I think the uh, the flyweight division is at a very interesting spot right now. Mm-hmm. I really like Amir Albazi, I really like uh, Mohammed Makaev. Uh, I think Alexandre Pantoja looks good. Um, it, we, we got a lot. We got, you know, some crazy fighters within this bottom and uh, bantamweight and flyweight like Umar of a guy that I absolutely love and I think should be fighting for the title and uh, very soon and something, you know, he's going to be having quite the reign in the UFC also.
0: The fighter to keep an eye out for. He's not currently in the UFC. Koji Horiguchi. Oh, I love him. Just say keep an eye on that name. There, there's been some some whispers that, uh, you know, and, and Saki Barres has said some things about uh his uh his desire to get to the UFC. So we'll we'll see what happens in terms of that one. Next up, we have got the biggest betting favorite on the card. He is a seventeen to one betting favorite. I can't recall last time we had a seventeen. Uh, probably Ronda Rousey. Maybe maybe the last time we had this big of a favorite in the UFC. Of course, that's Umar Nurmagomedov as he is 9,700 on DK, taking out Al-Makhan, who is 6,500. I was actually watching some of his tape. uh, There's some nice highlights out there of him uh, showing his hands.
1: Yeah, he's not bad at all. I mean, he's a very talented fighter. Um, You know, it kind of reminds me of when, uh, you know, we had Armin Sarukian break into the UFC against Islam Mahachev on short notice. But I I just, I think that this guy, Bexah Al-Makhan, He's very good in the striking department. Offensively, he can wrestle as well. So I think he's going to be a problem for a lot of fighters. This is a situation where, you know, you step up, you, you take a short notice fight against, you know, Umar Namagamedov, one of the best fighters pound for pound in the sport. And uh, it's just your, your way in the door. Um, after that, I think that we're going to get some good price tags on Beksa Amakan. Uh, I guarantee he's going to be favored in his next bout and uh you know we're, we're going to be able to to back him going forward but you know on on the tape he throws great strikes he can wrestle really well um defensively striking though I have seen him dropped and hurt um and when I see that and I can also see situations where Umar Nurmagomedov is going to put him in bad grappling scenarios it's clear just that Umar Namagamedov's Going to uh, go in there against this short-notice fighter, this replacement fighter, and and have a showcase performance. Um, I feel like we're going to see a head kick. Uh, the, the way that Umar Nurmagomedov utilizes his uh, his legs with such dexterity to throw question mark kicks so often, very, very tricky. Front kicks to the face, front kicks to the body to set up the head kick. I think it's going to be a, a, a round one KO. Uh, Beksat Amakan's good. Very good fighter. Umar is just on a completely different level. Um, if this somehow becomes competitive and bexot does not get finished, whether it's via submission or via uh, via strikes, then the price tag at sixty five hundred is just—I have it circled—because if he's able to survive, it is the bantamweight division. He is pretty good. Maybe he can score thirty to forty points if it goes fifteen minutes. I highly doubt it goes 15 minutes, but if he does, that price tag of 6500 is somewhat broken compared to uh other play, other, you know, spots within the range. Um, it'll allow you to get to a ton of different high end options. But, you know, my projection is that Umar Namagomedov is going to knock out Beksa Amakan in round 1.
0: Just looking over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh Normalian Madoff wins by TKO KO plus 350. And actually yeah. the line the line on the fight's come down a little bit. It's over at DK Sportsbook. Uh he's now minus twelve hundred. Yeah. I mean for the for the betting side, if you're you want to bet this one, is you gotta be looking props. I mean, you know, I mean look, you could you can take some of these big favorites and put them like in a, a three-fighter parlay. You're still not going to get plus money. So to me, looking at that plus uh, 350, uh, Umar winning by knockout to, is one that sticks out to me. I do like the under 12.5 fight time minutes on, on prize picks. That's one of my favorite plays on prize picks this week.
1: Dude, you better put in a crazy prize picks play for, no, your, you for your last one. No. You can't it, today? T- today's the last day. You you have to cash out after today. Oh, you got to cash out? Yeah. Oh, that sucks! I I thought you could just go in there and just place them all right now, and then and then see the winnings and then cash them out. That sucks.
0: The one thing mm-hmm. I I have liked is that the Hard Rock app is starting to offer up more prop bets. The the only mm-hmm. thing I do not like they uh, there's rarely you get an inside the distance prop. So it's either you gotta go TKO or submission. Like that burned me last week because I had Manuel Torres via knockout, and of course he goes out there and gets a submission. Yeah.
1: That kid's good, man. He's very good. So, uh, But, yeah, that's how it is, right? Like clubbing subs happen all the time. Knock them down and then submit them. Um, it happens very often. Or they, they're they looking to get a grappling finish. They're to, looking to get the submission. The guy's way too tough, so they just decide to pound him out. Um, but, yeah, you know, th- it's very difficult, but it's also something I can see happening in this next matchup between Matt Chanel and Steve Ursag where, the club and sub is live in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I you got a guy in Matt Schnell who's got a terrible chin um and Steve Urseg has a crisp crisp striking but mm-hmm. a willingness to go to the mat and has a very good guillotine. So it's something that I could see happening.
0: And Urseg is a 4 to 1 betting favorite to get Matt Schnell uh Schnell plus 300, he's 7000 on DK and for Urseg, he is another 9000 option this week at 9200 Pete.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely can see the market getting behind Matt Schnell and wanting to back him here in a situation. It's a flyweight bout. You have to hope that flyweight bouts. And for the majority of the UFC's reign, the likelihood of a flyweight finish was low compared to other divisions. But this new age of flyweights, they're going out there and putting people away. Um, You know, And it's quite odd for a flyweight to have such a bad chin that Matt Schnell has. I don't know if he's had a ton of concussions within the gym or if it's just from his, uh, you know, um, just miles in the octagon, man, like knocked out against Rob Font, Hector uh, Sandoval, Alexandre Pantoja, Mateus Nicolau, uh, Sumo Derji had him in awful spots. Like you can rock this kid if you land hands on him. And I don't like saying that because like I think skill set, like skill for skill, he's comparable here to steve ursag right like he could do almost everything steve ursag can do he's just not durable and not being durable in a flyweight bout is very very odd but it's something we have to recognize right like that's like a massive red flag like you should not be getting ko'd in this division steve ursag has shown a willingness to go to the takedowns uh david Dvorak in his debut came through as a massive underdog uh plus 230 landed three or four takedowns won that bout went up against the dangerous alessandro costa uh, was now favored in that bout um, and landed one of eight takedowns, but uh, defended takedowns, reverse positions, had set almost seven minutes of control time. His grappling's really good. Steve Urseg is very, very good and checks a lot of the boxes. I think Matt Chanel is, is good as well. It's just he's too comfortable off of his back to play jujitsu, and I think he'll get passed. I uh, think he'll either get pounded out on the ground um, but before it gets there, honestly, I think Steve Ursek's going to land a shot on Matt Schnell that plants him on, this, on his back. And whether he follows up with some strikes, um, knocks him out clean, mm-hmm. or decides to, to snatch the neck while Matt Schnell is looking to kind of survive and shoot a, take, a desperation takedown. I think it's going to be a Steve Ursek guillotine. I really do. Mm-hmm. And Matt Schnell, despite all the skills and despite being a 12-fight UFC veteran, I think he's going to get finished in this bout. And Steve Bersig going to finally have his first finish in the UFC. He hurt David Dvorak at times. He had Alessandro Costa in compromising situations. The box scores don't necessarily show that. He was close to finishing fights, um, but he was. And, you know, he's passed those tests. I think he's going to pass this test again. And he's going to pick up a finish here at 9,200
0: ursag to win via submission over DraftKings Sportsbook 225 uh seeing some uh, plus 230s out there across the board so something to pay attention to when you're there out there and uh parlay or prop hunting over on prize picks uh Erseg specific strikes 39 a half fight time eight and a half takedowns two and a fancy score of 102 and a half anything uh stick out to you there pete
1: So tough, right? Like, because you just don't know how aggressive they're going to be. I've seen Matt Schnell fights in the past where he stays on the outside and he's timid and he's fainting and he does a lot of things great. Um, and Steve Ursig, I think, will be content to be on the outside, um, and and push a grappling pace. It's just, you know, if Schnell stays on the center line, he's going to get caught. And I do like the sub prop as we talked about. Um, but damn, does it suck when when you bet the sub just trying to you're like big brain it, and it's just the most obvious thing is just ko against a bad chin. So um, I, I do. What's the fight time again? Uh, to uh, t- t- eight and a half. I think I like the less on that. Truthfully.
0: All right. All right. Uh, next up, we do not have an eight and a half fight time in a prop on the next matchup. That is Eric Anders versus Jamie Pickett. Eric Anders, a minus 525 betting favorite, plus 375 for Jamie Pickett. Uh, Anders, 9,300 DK, 6,900 for Jamie Pickett. And uh, I mean, look, it's, you know, Jamie Pickett is. This is my fear with this matchup. We're talking about DFS is the lack of volume from both guys.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I mean like it's twenty twenty four and Eric Anders is a five to one betting favorite. It's kind of crazy. It just goes to show you the what Jamie Pickett has done in the UFC and it's nothing. Next to nothing. Um lost to Tefan and Chukwi, knocked out against Jordan Wright, picked up a, a low volume decision over Lariana Storopoli, picked up a uh low volume decision over Joseph Holmes, uh submission defeat to Kyle Dawkins, knockout loss to to Lulin. Submission defeat to Bo Nickel. Decision, low-volume decision loss to Josh Fremd. So, I, I mean, you're, you're kind of hitting the nail right on the head where, um, you know, Jamie Pickett is not content to go out there and be aggressive. And it's kind of opposite of what he showed on Dana White's contender series where he was just very violent in that performance. Granted, maybe he smelled blood in the water, and that's why he, he hopped on the finish. But um, outside of that, man, he's it's almost like he's just way too timid he, he doesn't utilize his reach as well as he should for a guy that big. Um, we have Eric Anders here, who's fought the strength of schedule compared to to what Jamie Pickett has is just not even close. I mean, losing a decision to Mark andre Barrio beating Kyle Dawkins, jung young Park split decision, um, Darren Stewart, Chris Jocko, I can go on and on. There are some really good performances, and there are some head-scratching performances here as well. Eric Anders is always live to lose about i've never been big on eric anders but he's way more physical than jamie pickett way more powerful and has the better wrestling and jamie pickett is just it's almost like he's playing defense at all times he's just defending everything he's not really doing anything to to put a stamp on rounds for him or to try to win and, and finish his opponents whereas like at least with Eric Anders, if I know he hurts you, he's going to go in there and try to take you down and hurt you a lot. Like we've seen Anders go to the takedown well massively in two of his last three fights. 24 takedown attempts against Jung Young Park and 11 takedown attempts against Marc-Andre Barrio. Not the best success with landing the takedowns, but at least the attempts are there to keep it busy with the optics, keep it busy in the judges' eyes, and he's he's in there actively trying to win rounds. I can't be... Backing a guy and Jamie Pickett to go out there, stay on the back foot, you know, be okay and content with dropping rounds. Whereas at least I know Eric Anders is going to go in there and fight for my dollars. So Eric Anders should win this bout. Um, I'm seeing either a late round stoppage or tons of takedowns en route to a very, very dominant uh, wrestling wrestling clinic here against Jamie Pickett. If you are backing Jamie Pickett, the only hope is that he comes through with a low volume decision. And that all the other underdogs surrounding him just kind of fail. Um, totally possible on a slate like this. Maybe, I don't even know. I'll have to ask you what your your bottom end cash op- option would be. Like what your punt would be to see who could possibly score well in a loss. Um, I think Eric Anders just dominates here. And the, the line makes sense more. You watch Jamie Pickett fights
0: yeah one of the things i was just looking at eric Anders' uh instagram and looks like he, he's done most of his camp there in birmingham with chris conley who's his longtime head coach of course he's been around he's gone to various gyms over the past couple of years um you know look it, it, i don't know if i went my pick a cash punt
1: yeah
0: just because of i think this thing's going 15 minutes and, and if you tell me I can get a under 7,000, even though Jamie does not throw a ton, he does have a five-inch reach advantage in this one. If it goes 15 minutes, but of course, what if he gets put on his back for 11 right. of those
1: minutes? Right. I have a crazy cash, well, not a cash punt, but I have a crazy absolute dart throw underdog that I think if it goes 15 minutes could actually put up a better score than Jamie Pickett. And I can't wait to tell you because it's totally ballsy. Um, but I I definitely think it's something we could talk about.
0: And and that's why I do like going the more than 14, three quarters, fight time in on Eric Anders. I mean, you you hate playing those lines because you just know either one of them could do something at some moment. But to me that it's, I think it's, it's a more play in, in terms of that one. Uh, next up, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, social media clip going around between, uh, Vinicius and Bernardo. They had a little, they had a little interaction during a
1: photo shoot day. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. These two I, so, guys. I,
0: so when I see that, and I already knew what the salary was, I was like. Smash. Oh, I go, okay. I, I go, you, you mentioned when we were talking about game theory. We don't have a lot a lot of middle options. This is a middle, uh, well, I guess this would be a middle option for this slate. 8,600 and 7,600. Venetius is at 8,600. Bernardo, 7,600. Uh, Venetius is a slight betting favorite, minus 115, minus 105 for Bernardo. And uh, for people who have not seen it, it was in, uh, I want to say it was in Venetius's IG stories. He's walking by after he done his photo shoot, and uh, he did the old uh, two-finger gun salute at, uh, at Bernardo.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, w- f- the way I look at this fight is it's an exciting bout. Crazy, crazy exciting bout. You add the intangibles of the social media interaction between these two and the intensity of two UFC debutantes. I think that we have to have this fight one way or another. I think that Vinicius Oliveira here at 8600 or Bernardo Sopai at 7600, just it's going to be fireworks fireworks this fight is going to be crazy we have Vinicius Olivero who hits like an absolute truck for the division he makes a lot of mistakes man he does make a lot of mistakes but when he throws I'm talking about throwing a hundred percent behind every technique there's no setup shots everything's a ko ko shot for him and that left hook he landed on the contender series he knocked his opponent out badly and if you go and you watch his regional tape he's done this to plenty of people um I'll say that as far as, like, physicality and in shape. This guy, he looks like he's in crazy shape. Um, He does look like he could gas out as the fight goes on because he's so muscle-bound. But, like, I think that his aggressiveness is what's going to lead to a lot of success in the UFC, but also could be his demise as well because he's he's so willing to to go in there and just throw leather and hunt for finishes that he leaves himself open. I've seen him get knocked out in the past on the regional scene. Um, and when I look at his opponent, Bernardo Sopai, a guy who's trained for, you know, extensively at All-Stars Gym, one of Hansap Shamayev's friends, I think that Bernardo Sopai is actually really damn good. And Sopai has been training for a full camp for this bout. Not for this particular bout, but for a bout outside the UFC. So this gentleman is in shape. This guy's ready. He's not just some regular Joe coming in here on a week's notice or two weeks notice. He's coming in here fully prepared for an MMA contest. And this kid Bernardo Sopai is good. The right hand that he threw and knocked out one of his opponents was devastating. Um he throws excellent combinations. He's a lot he's a lot more crisp on the feet. He, like, he makes less mistakes than Vinicius Oliveira. I would give the power edge to Oliveira, um, the aggressiveness to Oliveira, but the technicality and um, the technical standpoint and just the fight IQ to Bernardo Sopai. I think that this fight he will take over as the fight goes on. And honestly, Jason, I'm going to back mm. Bernardo Sopai here straight up, but... It's a fight where I truly don't care. I'm going to back Sopai I get like 55-60% <clears throat> of him. And the other 40% of my lineups, I'm going to have Vinicius Oliveira. Because I, I view this fight as fireworks and I view it as a must-have for a pretty low-level card. This is one of the fights I'm absolutely excited about watching.
0: Yeah, I mean it's just one of those things. As, as much as uh, you know, kind of as we mentioned about the interaction between two guys and fighting styles, I, I just feel like it's a fight you want to get to, and, and also I do want to see where ownership kind of ends up being on this one because that to me is going to be the ultimate key of you know kind of where. And I was I've been doing a dummy crunch, just crunching a thousand lineups, and as I started to kind of look at lineups as you were talking about your breakdown of this fight, I was like, could we have two losing fighters in an optimal lineup this week?
1: You could. I mean, I. You definitely could. It could be a really weird one, and that's why, like, it's the hardest thing to predict. Is you know, are you going to have a stack a part of the optimal? Are you going to have a losing fighter a part of the optimal? Or could it be a combination of both? Um, and it's just how ugly this slate is with no mid range. Um, that if anybody is out there and trying to look at it from a strategic lens, uh, I'm I'm all ears because I do think that I'm going to get some interesting builds because of some some underdogs that I will take shots on, that nobody will take shots on, um, and then uh, it'll allow me to spend up. I mean, what was it, like six months ago or whatever, I talked about where I had a losing fighter, a part of the optimal lineup, and it, it helped. It helped a lot because it allowed me to to get to all the you know five other high-end options that scored significantly well.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, Anthony in the, in the uh, chat was asked if we would stack this fight. I mean,
1: I, I kind of I will in a few of them in case it goes fifteen, but I think somebody's yeah. getting knocked out.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. In, in terms of that one, let's move over to the next one. We got Sahabi taking on Basarat. Basarat is a ten to one betting favorite. Uh, Amin Sahabi plus six hundred. He's six hundred DK and ninety five hundred for Javed Basarat, Pete.
1: Yeah, I mean, like i really love javid Bashra here um i think that javid Bashra is very talented hasn't necessarily paid off these hefty price tags 8700 8600 and 9200 were his previous salaries and he's only scored 98 in the best win and that was against Menteus mendonza um you know i i do think that he has tremendous skills in the striking department grappling department submission department and you know, on the regional scene, he's a guy that found a ton of finishes just in the UFC. He, he's been unable to do so. Um, we haven't even seen him attempt submissions in the UFC. He hasn't knocked down anybody in the UFC. So maybe he's due. Maybe he's due. But I'm actually thinking that he's going to go in there and pick up a dominant decision here against Eamon Zahabi, where, you know, on the outside, I think that they could be tentative for a little bit for the first round until uh, until Basharat starts to find his range. And then once he does, I think he's going to close the gap and he's going to take Eamon Zahabi down consistently. Uh, Zahabi has really shown out with his power in some of his best wins. Uh, his debut win against Reginald of Ayara, picked up a knockdown, uh, knocked out Draco Rodriguez, who was a regional killer. Um, Aori Key Lang knocked him out. Um, so like he's definitely alive to land a left hook or a massive overhand right. I just don't see it. I just do not see it against Javid Basharat. I think that Javid is really, really skilled, and we were very close to seeing him put on a good performance against Victor Henry. Um, and when you go from Victor Henry to Eamon Zahabi, I think that's a step down in competition. So the 9,500 price tag is the only thing that I don't really like just because he hasn't done it yet. Maybe it's a it's a perfect situation to be early rather than late, get behind Basharat now before he puts – before he posts hundred plus fantasy points, um, but I think he's going to post like ninety plus. I think he's a very very safe option. It's just there's some other options out there that could score massively.
0: That's where I mean I, I mean I mentioned this now a couple times in, in the show, but like looking at ownership, I I think that uh, Nurmagomedov and Klein are going to have massive ownership. So you might be able to get a little bit of a leverage on the field by maybe transitioning to Bostra as opposed to going to Klein or Nurmagomedov.
1: Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I mean, when you pivot to some pl- some other high end option, um he's he's really really good. You know what I mean? Like he's yep. he's probably going to be fighting for the title within the next couple of years or be a part of the top 5. Um so I, I got no problem if you want to be early rather than late.
0: Next up, we got uh, Christian Leroy Duncan taking on Claudio Robero. Robero plus 250 betting underdog -310 for Duncan. Duncan 8900 DK and for Robero he's 7300 Pete.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what, man, like Christian Leroy Duncan's a guy, when I watched his regional tape, his highlight reel, all of that, he got me excited. He got me excited. I'm like, wow, okay, this kid looks good. Um I obviously I know that he was, you know, going to be working and developing his grappling because he's just a pure striker. Um so I always kinda like knew if he faced a true grappler, I think that he'd probably lose and it'd be a good learning experience for him here. Um you know, when you debut against Dusko Todorovic, it looks like he went out there and finished him awesome, 95 fantasy points in a minute and a half into the bout. That was just an injury. Uh, then he came back against Armin Petrojan, who's a very, very good uh, striker, but Armin Petrojan was actually landing takedowns against Tr- Christian Leroy Duncan, and we just saw Armin Petrojan get absolutely taken down and subbed against Hadolfo Vieira with relative ease, so it makes you scratch your head a little bit. And then he picked up a, uh, a lower volume decision, uh lower volume TKO went over Dennis Tallulian. Um, But because of the massive, massive control time and knockdown, he had, well, he had five minutes of control time, a, a second round finish and a knockdown. So he ended up with 119 points. Dennis Tallulian is not good. Like Dennis Tallulian is not a good fighter in the UFC. And, uh, you know when you're paired up against Claudio Ribero, who's also been knocked down and knocked out in two contests against Abdul Razak Al Hassan and Roman Kopilov maybe this is the perfect matchup for Leroy Duncan to go out there and get a nice n- nice highlight real knockout with a head kick we've already seen Claudio Ribero get knocked out by a head kick and that was against Roman Kopilov who has a beautiful left leg um I don't know, man. I just I feel like maybe the market and me in general, like we've all overvalued Chris and Leroy Duncan to this point. Like he was a minus six hundred favorite against Dennis Tollulin. I just don't see that when I watch him. He's like, he's very patient, and sometimes patience is great for a bet, but patience is awful for DFS, Um, especially when you're (laughs) a high priced option. So like at eighty nine hundred, it's a forgiving price tag. I just don't think that there's any eagerness. I think that uh, Claudio Ribeiro will, will kind of make him respect his power a little bit. He'll be on the outside, probably winning most exchanges. If somebody grapples in this bout, I think Claudio is the guy to grapple and initiate the takedowns. Um, he's attempted two in the UFC. He took Joseph Holmes down once, attempted one against Roman Kapilov. Um But I do think a Christian Leroy Duncan late finish with a, a poor score or a decision win is probably the most likely. So I'm kind of okay skipping past his name a little bit. But I also, on the other side of the coin, I'm sitting there saying, if this is a kickboxing bout and Leroy Duncan just lets everything fly, he's the better kickboxer here. He just has to avoid the power of Rivero and he should coast
0: yeah i mean i, I like dunk in this spot it, it's just it's one of these things of and, and i had not started building any lineups yet i think it's just going to kind of come down to is when we're talking about these a 900 and up fighters of how many can i actually truly put into a lineup with how roster construction is going to be in terms of there. uh by the way the fight time prop over on prize picks six and a half fantasy score 109 and a half, and significant strikes 37 and a half. i I tell you what, that significant strike thirty-seven and a half is a one that sticks out to me the most. Not not anything I love um, over uh, in this one, but you know maybe if that thing gets into second and in late second, early third, he should be able to smash that over thirty-seven and a half.
1: Yeah, he should as long as he doesn't land one hitter quitter on Claudio Ribeiro. Um But yeah, I, I think I think Leroy Duncan to land thirty-seven is probably thirty-seven and a half is probably a, a more play.
0: Samuel, I do appreciate the super chat. You know, this this is one way I'll describe this one. Like on paper, this is not an exciting fight card that you're all giddy to sit on your couch on Saturday afternoon and watch. But Pete, you know what? It does give us an opportunity to make some money.
1: Yeah, it does. It, it does. But it's it's a difficult card to make money because the fighters you want to back are already completely uh, lines are completely overblown. So it's yeah. like, man, how the hell are you going to do this? Get
0: ready for chop sitting these big GPPs. Yeah, it's only I think it's only a question. Of how, many, how many people are you going to share that prize pool with?
1: Yeah, probably probably fair. And thank you so much, Sam, for your constant support and everybody else watching the channel. You guys are awesome. Uh, if you can hit that like button, get us over 100 likes, share, share our content, you know, on social media. If, if you if you care to do so, subscribe to the channel. We're approaching a thousand subscribers. It's coming up fast. And I I would love nothing more for that. And uh, maybe we'll start pumping out some other content for you guys, too.
0: Yeah, I know Pete uh, put a a post out on X about that. If there's any type of content that you want to see from myself and Pete, let us know. Uh, Maybe if there's weeks where there's a PFL or Bellator event that maybe you want us to kind of put together, like, you know, a quick breakdown of whether it's from a betting aspect or just a fight breakdown, just let us know. We're we're always want to hear what you guys want.
1: I know what I want. Okay. And I know what the people want. And the people want Jason to interview every single fighter on every single card leading up to a DFS event, and I want them to—I want him to explain the DFS scores to these fighters, and them tell us <laughs> that give that give us a prediction of what they're going to score. All right. Uh, well, ca- can we count on you to get a round one or a round two? Oh, are you going for the quick win bonus? Are you going to lace up your wrestling shoes and take your opponent to take down city? Please give us give us any feedback so that we can have an edge on our competition. Bro,
0: I wish I had time to do fire interviews. Uh-huh. I, I just, I, I'll be honest with you, man. My schedule is so crazy day in and day out. I mean, literally, I got in the office here just after 6 a.m. I won't get home tonight till probably 8 30, 9 o'clock. Like, my, my, right right now, like, I, I mean, you, you've got a, a young child at home, you, you're, and you're running a gym and all that, man. It, it is, yeah, it's, it's crazy right now. But yeah, when I, this is this is my thing as someone who's interviewed a lot of fighters you gotta read in between the lines of what they say yeah. because they're gonna lie to you <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I can't tell you how many times you know as as creative as you can potentially get as someone whether you, whether you I, I don't like to say I interview fires I like to say I have conversations it's just in, in question form. But sometimes you just gotta kind of sit back and just see if you can get any type of read on them. Now there yeah. are some times where you might think that li- that fighter was BSing you, and then the fight happens, and you go, "Damn, he told me his game plan."
1: Yeah, I, it's that's what I'm saying. It's very, it's almost impossible. Um, it's impossible to kind of tell. But man, I would love for us to somehow get some insight and just like let us know. Are You gonna go to Takedown City? Like, what are you gonna do? Like. I, it, it, you get more of that insight honestly
0: by talking to managers and coaches. Yep. But yep. they're they're not ne- you know they're they're never going to on the record tell you. Now, there there are plenty of things off the record that I have heard. Plenty of yeah. things off the record. Um some, you know, and look there's times where and you know this man like you hear about how some fighters doing in the gym and then fight night it is complete opposite.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, um, but like, like in chat, look at Quinlan. He said he would grappled with Barlow. I I listened to interviews and uh, about Quinlan saying he was going to utilize his jiu-jitsu and wrestling. And it just when you're in there, man, it's hard. It, it's hard. Like you can say everything, but like you're under the lights, and and you, sometimes you just the moment gets to you.
0: And then, like, I mean, if you look at Barlow's fighting style, I mean, obviously you can you can relate to Barlow's fighting style. I mean, that's you know who did you have in your gym that was able to mimic that fighting style of getting in and out of the pocket the way Barlow does?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, I mean, it's, but yeah, it's sometimes, yeah, I, I take what fighters say in interviews with a grain of salt. I'll just say that, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I mean, I, I I mess with Pete, but like, I also know if Pete's doing an interview for his next fight, Pete ain't going to be sitting there telling, you know, now we might have a,
1: no mic around conversation yeah
0: <laughs> but when, well, when, when the mics are on you gotta kind of you gotta hold that stuff in
1: well guess what i'll tell you what's gonna happen is if they ever do dfs for bellator or or any major promotion and i happen to be a part of it i'm gonna look at the scoring and i'm gonna tell y'all what the hell i'm gonna do okay i'm gonna tell y'all what i'm gonna do i'm aiming for this i'm gonna land this and i'm gonna give you guys a perfect perfect read on what's gonna happen so uh but yeah, I mean, like, look at like we got like Ladovic Klein against Cunningham, and like, I mean, this is a situation uh, where. Hear me out, Jason. Hear all me right. out, okay? You have Ladovic Klein, massive, massive favorite. Okay yes. what what's his what's his line at the moment?
0: He is a nine to one betting favorite, plus six hundred for Cunningham. Klein 9,600 DK Cunningham sixty six hundred. I mean, like, look, it, it's just like it's one of those things where I, I get. In Cunningham's situation, why you take this fight? Because yeah. you never know when that opportunity is going to come. If you say no, you may be waiting a long time for the opportunity. But I just think, from a talent perspective, Klein is just at a di- a totally different level.
1: One hundred percent, and you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. I mean, like Lazova Klein picked up wins over Ignacio Bajamondes. Uh, had a draw against Jai Herbert, uh, Mason Jones, Devonte Smith, um, and even Shane Young. So, like some notable names. And the only thing that we have from AJ Cunningham is being on the Dana White's Contender Series with a very sad and horrific story about his upbringing. Um, but he got absolutely destroyed on on the, the Contender Series, and um, that was against uh, Steven Nguyen. And you know he was just completely outgunned. He threw a ton of volume on the feet. But from a talent perspective, I think he's kind of he makes up for his talent with his hard work and his motor, where he can break some people. He's been able to train with Bryce Mitchell for a long majority, good friends with Bryce Mitchell, and um, you know that has helped his his takedowns offensively and defensively. Has a solid submission game about him. Uh, striking though, he's super super hittable and super alive to get knocked out by the Ladovic Kleins. Patented left leg head kick uh, that was on showcase in sh- against Shane Young and on a regional scene where Ladova Klein was knocking everybody out with that. Something happened with Ladovac Klein though. Um, you know he still lands some good shots, but this guy has turned into a safe winner. And what I mean by that is he's decided to be a round winner instead of a moment winner. And perhaps that was because of his uh, his defeats to Michael Trezano and Nate Landwehr, But what he's really done. In his past four fights, is he's taken a more patient, methodical, and grappling based approach where he's, you know, attempted takedowns against Devontae Smith, Mason Jones, uh Jai Herbert, and Ignacio Bajamondes, uh trying to pick up control time against the cage or on the mat. I think that's what he's gonna do here. I think like clearly he's alive to pick up a very, very fast win over AJ Cunningham. This is a an absolute mismatch as far as like who these guys have beaten regionally and also on their resumes and like Lodovic Klein in the UFC is 4-2-1 against Ignacio Bahamondes he had no problem with him um but like I would probably say that in some of Lodovic Klein's wins he's the better grappler in a lot of those situations he probably is in this situation as well but I don't think that AJ Cunningham is all that bad of a grappler or wrestler it's kind of impossible training with uh you know tra- training with Bryce Mitchell or T.J. Brown on the regular. So it's like I think that he has some sneaky wrestling about him, some sneaky grappling about him. There was a time where, where Ladovic Klein showed massive fatigue. So while I expect a Ladovic Klein absolute dominant performance, if I go back, Jason, and hear me out, this is kind of where I was getting to. As an underdog at 6,600, we need somebody to score with high volume. And listen to these numbers of A.J. Cunningham on Dana White's contender series. He threw 151 significant strikes in round one. He threw 134 significant strikes in round two. He landed 40 significant strikes and 40 total strikes in round one. And then 29 and 29 in round two. If you do the math on that, Jason, that man, despite getting finished in the second round, is scoring somewhere like, 45 to 50 points. I think it's 56 points just taking the the strikes into consideration. If somehow this goes 15 minutes, maybe this kid is able to to do enough in a loss. Or maybe if he gets finished, he's able to do enough before he gets finished. It's a week where I'm going to have to roster somebody who's ugly uh, from a DFS situation. So I will take the gamble as my absolute dart throw of A.J. Cunningham being the fighter to score... Decently well in a loss as long as he doesn't get you know head kick KO'd immediately. So Lodova Klein rolls here, he dominates Cunningham. But while the fight is is live and as long as the fight goes, I know Cunningham's going to throw out volume. I'm glad
0: you mentioned those stats from Dan West Contender Series. That fight lasted nine minutes with Stephen Nguyen. Yep, Stephen Nguyen landed 103 yep. strikes, do mm-hmm. stuff. Boy, a lot of fights. And, and here's the, all the problem, man. Like, And this is why I love Tapology. You go back and look at his uh, win that he had back in December against Justice Lampace, who, by mm-hmm. the way, has lost six in a row. Oof. Yeah. I, yeah. I just... No, I mean,
1: I get I,
0: it. I, I, I understand why his management got him into this fight. He, he's represented... Uh, by first round management. I, I get why they did that, but I just think this is a mismatch and I, I love I love Klein to go out there. Our opening matchup of the night, uh, Abdul Kareem taking on Razabov Razabov a plus one forty five betting underdog minus one seventy five for Abdul Kareem. Kareem eighty four hundred on DK seventy eight hundred for Razabov Pete.
1: Yeah, I mean initially when I was watch when I was looking at the card I was like all right Loik Rajabov, a guy with massive takedown potential. I'm probably gonna back him here. Because uh, I know what he did against uh, Esteban Ribovitz And, you know, questionable gas tank, but landed 11 of 21 takedowns. I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Seven and a half minutes of control time was rocked in you know, in a certain amount of uh, periods in that fight. And I, I looked up Abdul Kareem Al-Sawadi and I'm like, that's where I know this guy from. You know, he ended up beating George Hardwick on the uh, Contender Series. And George Hardwick is a guy that, was pretty hyped up outside the UFC, and is probably going to get another shot at, at you know getting a, a shot in the UFC. Um, but Abdul Kareem Al Sawadi threw out a tremendous amount of volume in that bout, and just kept George Hardwick you know on the outside. And uh, you know we had Sawadi attempting eighty seven significant strikes, eighty five and sixty nine mixed in with six takedown attempts. So like you know he threw two hundred and forty one significant strikes in the 15 minute contest and his motor can break people. And you have Loik Rajabov here who has shown questionable gas tank, uh, susceptibility to big shots. Uh, if you look on Abdul Kareem Al-Sawadi's record, you'll see that he's been knocked out twice. You will go back and you watch those fights. One was a, a crazy encounter with a spinning elbow slash spinning back fist. Okay. And then, um, you know, it's just like the, 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 Strikes that he was knocked out by, I don't think anybody's not going to get knocked out by those. Mm. Uh, So his lights were shut off pretty significantly, but I don't think he has a bad chin. I just think he ran into those two strikes that knocked him out pretty significantly. So uh, I like him here a lot, Jason. Like at 8,400, I know you're not a fan of the first fight in the night. I might plant my flag on Abdul Kareem Sawadi. I I think that he comes from a good camp. He's a very, very hard worker, way better gas tank than uh, Loik Rajabov uh probably the better wrestler too is if Loik starts to wrestle or, or attempts i think that al will reverse and uh end up putting rajabov in some compromising situations and i think he breaks them over 15 minutes i think he's going to pick up a round two or round three uh finish mixed in with tons of volume so give me uh al here at 8400 as like uh, a flag plant of the week
0: this is one of those fights of this week. I think it's one of three fights that you have to look at from a salary perspective. As you're looking to how how do you construct a lineup? The other two would would be the Venetius Monardo and then of course the main event. You know these are these are mid range fights of the week. I mean, and these may be the three fights that ultimately decide this slate, unless we just have a. I, I, I just feel like we're 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 in chalk city. I mean, if you just want to go crazy and do eleven leg parlay, and just go all 11 favorites, I wouldn't blame you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't blame you either. I, it's, I don't think anybody's – me, personally, I don't think there's going to be an underdog that wins. Why do you think I'm trying to big brain it and think of which which fighter in a loss is going to score well, and it's just like at least if I'm going to back a fighter who can score decently well, and Cunningham's a walking, punching bag, somebody says, I, I agree with that uh maybe just volume wins out and uh, I'd much rather pick a guy that is probably going to get worked but has high volume than a uh, Jamie Pickett necessarily or something like that who's will probably score you 50 in, in a win.
0: I just so I went with the best fight odds and did the 11 uh fight parlay with all the favorites mm-hmm. This tells you what kind of week this is. 11 leg parlay. Plus 1,964. <laughs> I mean, of course, you're talking about we've got a, a, a 305 favor, a 355, 410, 1200, 900,
1: 900. I mean, I mean that I ain't f- bad, though. Probably. I feel like this is a PFL Bellator betting God, sorry. sir. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, we, we've we've had those before. And it's like, you know, yeah, I like to do those with college basketball or college sports in general. Uh-huh. So, like, I've done the same thing. Why would I? be opposed to it for fighting well fighting's crazy fighting's absolutely crazy and one shot one injury like literally one of these underdogs could win because a guy rolls his ankle while Bruce Buffer is announcing him you know what I'm saying like like what are we talking about here a guy could get poked in the eye the ref doesn't see it they call TKO you know what I mean like there's so many things that can happen
0: yeah I mean it's just like last week as that happened I'm like if you're Brian Ortega you gotta be sitting there and going who hates me
1: yeah, I mean really. He said he said that he was he was panicking a little bit and I do not blame him.
0: Oh God. What fighter wouldn't panic? Mm. I mean you think about stuff from the Super Bowl, um uh, Dre Greenlaw, uh tearing his oh, Achilles just yeah, running yeah. onto the field. Like Yeah Horrible. it's yeah. Uh but uh let's get into our straight up fight picks here. Of course, these are non DFS related. Main event Man. give me the favorite Gaziev, you know, but don't.
1: Yeah. I, I, I,
0: I, to me, it's like a coin flip fight, honestly.
1: absolutely agree. I'm gonna go Gazev lean though.
0: Uh, i would go Petrino, Petrino, Makayev, Makayev, Nermagamadov,
1: Nermagamadov, Erseg, Erseg,
0: Anders, but man, don't Andrew. love the price tag. <laughs> um, I'll go Venetius.
1: Okay, I'm going to go with Soapai. I think he's my only this week.
0: Uh, Give me Basarat. Basarot. Duncan.
1: uh, Duncan. Give me Klein. Klein. And I'll go Kareem. Kareem Al-Sawadi for me.
0: Yeah, it's a tough underdog week. And and this is where I think, uh, and I know there was a question uh, over in uh, the chat over to score, which, by the way, totally free to join, uh, from Norfolk said, best punt for cash. And this is something I'm always looking at every week. Uh, of, I was
1: asking you. J- Jason's the cash god, so who, <sighs> who are you going to go with? Jamie Pickett? Because there's a world the, where Jamie Pickett does win. Eric Anders yeah, just sometimes I, looks terrible.
0: The re- I, I think my primary reason why I would go Pickett is why, my belief that it goes 15 minutes. Right. And I, I just, you know... I mean Cunningham, is he tough enough to make it to round three? I hope. I mean if he is, but I mean look, if you go in a Stephen Wynn fight, he only landed twenty four percent of his strikes.
1: It's a lot yeah. of strikes you're That's, missing. Yeah, because he threw so damn much though, Jason. So yeah. we'll see. I, like But,
0: but I uh, mean outside of that, like just that low end options, um I mean, Pedro, to me, would be more of a GPP punt than a cash punt just because of potentially a a knockout. Yeah. But I I just think that if you're looking for cash, to me it's ultimately is you got to find that fighter you believe can last 15 minutes, and you just don't hope that he ends up on his back for nine, ten-plus minutes. or, Or, I mean, last week, those two judges, oh, my God, the Altamirano fight, guy has nine takedowns, still loses the fight. Matthias another one like I'm sitting on my couch and when they when they announced the scorecards and Altamirano's loss, I go what fight was that judge watching
1: I know I don't know <laughs> like, I don't. like, he literally takes them down keeps them down there like yeah nine like, takedowns or something like that I was at the I was at a comedy show and I was at my Matt Reif and it was hilarious by the way okay. and uh I, I'm watching a fight, and I'm with my my brother in law, and I'm like, dude, nine takedowns. I'm like, I didn't have enough out to Morano, and then they announced Dos Santos. I'm like, what fight were they watching?
0: And don't I recall he outscored him?
1: Because yeah, because oh, nine course. takedowns.
0: Like, yeah. it's just it's it's like it's one of those things of like. I'm sure there is somebody over at US, at fightmetricsufcstats.com that has a stat of how many fighters have scored nine takedowns in a fight and
1: lost. Yeah, I know. It's pretty bad. Great.
0: Yeah, crazy, crazy. Uh, let's get some uh, questions in here. We'll get out of here for this episode of the podcast. Uh, to do value plays
1: are 8K. Good luck. <laughs> that, that's my answer. Good luck. I, I mean. It's got to be Jerzinho won because it's a coin flip fight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like so pie because I think it's a competitive bout with some heat behind it outside of that. Like I don't think Rajabov is going to look all that great in a situation mm-hmm. against a pace pusher. Um I think he can match Kareem Sawadi can match him everywhere. I, after that, man, like it's like Jay, Zahabi, Amy, a hobby. Jamie, P, Jamie Pickett, match Snell. <laughs> Who, who's most trustworthy there? And it's like, goodness mm. gracious. Dude, I, I feel dirty
0: just thinking, trying to have faith in Jamie Pickett to last 15 minutes and give me 35, 40 points.
1: You got more faith. I, I agree with you. You got more faith in Jamie Pickett than Alex Perez?
0: I don't know what to expect out of Alex Perez. He's like the wild card of the card. Can
1: you imagine he goes out there and knocks I, out Makaev?
0: I want to see what he looks like on the scale. I think that's yeah. where it starts. I mean that that means where it start. Uh, then he also asked about a core three on DraftKings. It starts with Klein for me. The problem is is we've got one two one two three. We have Can't six really nine thousand options. I mean it, that's that's where the core becomes hard. Like I would probably say, the core has got to be is pick your favorite nine thousand fighter. Pick someone in the main event. And then my third one.
1: I like Al a lot. I really do.
0: I was thinking Ursager Duncan. But I I, I I truly do want to see what, what uh ownership looks like here. Uh we already talked core plays, uh, favorite inside the distance fighters. Um I, I look at uh Gaziev. Both guys, uh, probably more Pedro the Petrino in the co main event. Um, uh, Umar, Urseg, either guy in, in, in Sopaj and Oliveira. I think Klein is got to be probably my favorite one just because I think it's a mismatch.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: Uh, live dogs, woof, woof, Rosenstruck.
1: Rosenstruck and Paj for me.
0: Yeah. Uh, top pump plays um, for GPPs. I would say Tyson Pedro because of finishing ability cash. Cash is probably picket, but Perez could be an interesting one. But, you know, how much of the takedowns can he stop? That may be part of that question there. Uh, best parlay plays. Oh, this is a tough week for parlays. This is a tough-ass week for parlays because you, you just – Stuff like juice. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't love parlaying props, but that may be the way to get your best odds this week.
1: It's a scary, scary thing to do, though. It's I know. It's very difficult. I know. If anything, uh, do you double chance. That's That's what I like yeah. doing is I like parlaying double chance where, like, the two most likely outcomes – uh, if a guy has no submission game, but he's a knockout artist. But it could get stretched out. Do like KO or decision as as your uh, double chance, and then combine that with another double chance.
0: Uh, best decision odds give me Anders Pickett. That that be my uh, best decision. Uh, Road to the Mansion over under five and a half. We got eleven fights. That's an interesting number, Sam. Um, I say, I say six. Yeah, give me the over on that one. Uh, best leverage play I haven't seen. Um. Uh, once we get ownership in, uh, that I'll be able to give you a better idea in terms of uh, leverage play. Uh, Takedown upside, uh, Petrino, Mikhaev. That'd be my two. Yeah. Uh, rank the 9K options. Uh, one would be Klein for me. Two, give me Umar. Three. Urseg, 4 Petrino, 5 Makayev, 6 Basrat.
1: I like Makayev a lot. I mean, I'm going to still say Umar's 1, Klein 2, Makayev 3. No, Urseg 3, Makayev 4, Anders 5, Petrino 6.
0: Uh, uh, Paul says he goes I'm always looking to fade a fight I'm thinking the Anders Pickett fight any feedback what you guys think would be awesome again you know, the only show I listen to Uh, Paul appreciate you uh, checking this out uh, at 11 fights it's difficult to fade a fight Um, maybe if there is a fight that you know is getting a ton of ownership on both sides that to me would be, then be a, a, a large field GPP way to fade a fight but I, I, at 11 fights to me it's just difficult to do that
1: one hundred percent. I mean, if you always want to get get different, fade the two highest owned fights. Um, but it's really tough. It's like Chop City this week, and with no mid range. Usually, that's my way to pivot away from ownership is just target the mid range a little bit more than the high end options. It's virtually impossible this week.
0: Uh, Sam, appreciate uh, another super chat in here. He says, which underdog scores the most and be in the winning lineups?
1: I like SOPAI. Personally, I, that's who I'm going to stick with. If I have to pick one, it's okay. between Jirginho and Sopai. I'm going to go with a – he could get melted and knocked out early, but with how good this kid is for the bantamweight division, I actually think that he's probably the better fighter over 15 minutes. So I'm going to say yeah. Bernardo Sopai at 7,600.
0: Uh, we'll end on this one here. Uh, is having two punt plays too much I'm, – I'm guessing that was supposed to be much – this week to be contrarian? Here, here's the problem with that one. I, I see, Pete, is like you just mentioned two fights here. You could almost label those as boom bust fights, too. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then same. I also asked, because uh, he goes, I know we do not do it, but is there a stackable fight this week? That could be a key to being optimal.
1: Could be that soap olivera fight. I mean, like, if they don't knock each other out, it could just be violence. Um, you could also have a, like a, let's just say that, um, you know, Cunningham's able to survive and it's a second or third round finish for Ladova Klein. Klein scores significantly well, but his opponent also scores decently well too. Totally possible with how the prices are this week. Like maybe it's Umar against Bexat. Maybe Bexat can do something for the, for a round. I don't think he can, but maybe, so I'm not against it. So get different this week. Just, just try some stuff because it's a very unique week with no mid range.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you're talking about Umar. I mean, this the guy who's probably, uh, I mean, probably his next fight's a top five opponent. It's probably going to be Corey Sanhagen. That seems to be the, the path like that they're going to go.
1: I do not like that fight for him. I don't like the fight for a Corey either. I just think like it's
0: mm. well, that's there is going to be a a rush to put Umar in there against uh, the top of the, the top of the peep in this division, but that's just. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I'll be I'll be sitting on the couch on Saturday afternoon watching the fights. Of course, uh, we'll be in that discord channel. If you want to chat along with our great community, totally free to join. I'll have that draft teams contest up here later on today. So be on the lookout for that. Pete, anything else you want to leave us with before we get out of here?
1: No, I just want to say thanks, guys. Uh, Even though it's an ugly card, we're still here for you. We appreciate you. And uh, if you can hit the like button, get us over 100 likes, subscribe to the channel on our way to a thousand. A thousand to ten thousand to a hundred thousand. So uh, we appreciate everybody a part of the Discord as well, and uh, we have fights next weekend, Jason. Yes, we do. We got UFC two ninety nine next week. Oh, that's the real UFC three hundred. That by, is really. And by the way,
0: Umar believes that O'Malley's going to starch Vera. I think so too. I don't know if you I saw so this. Too. I don't know if you saw this. Old old sugars done a little about face. He's ready to take home Rob next. He I said he, he, he goes, he goes, I've heard the fans. I want to give the fans the fight they want to see. I was like, okay.
1: Yeah. Avoid Umar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> look, look, if, if Cheeto could did not make it the fight night, no way he takes home Rob on a week's notice. <laughs> no. I,
1: yeah, maybe not. But yeah, I, I'm excited for it. We go from this card, which is horrendous, to that card. So it's like, what are we doing?
0: I know, man. It's it's welcome to UFC in 2024, bro. Sad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, as always, we appreciate everyone doing this episode of the Fight HQ podcast. And of course, we'll be here next week to get you ready for UFC 299. And uh, as always, if you've got any comments after show, you can leave those in the YouTube chat. You can hop in on a score. Myself, or Pete will get back to us. That's going to do it for this edition of the Fight HQ podcast.